0: Hi, and welcome back to Winged and Ready. I'm very excited to be here today with a new friend who is talking to us from Milan, Italy, Eileen Akbarali. She is the CEO and founder of Made for a Woman, which is a social entrepreneurship that approaches the fashion industry in a more humane way. Eileen, thank you so much for being here today
1: Thank you, thank you so much for having me. No,
0: this is so exciting. I know you're you have a very busy weekend ahead of you. We were just chatting, and she is off to Paris this weekend to engage with some high end and couture labels to see what they're doing in the in the fashion industry. The interesting thing. Eileen and I were talking about is how hard it is to be an entrepreneur. So we thought we would focus (laughs) on that today, not only what she's doing. Eileen, maybe you could, you know, we could launch right into a quick chat on how and why you want to approach thinking about being an entrepreneur in a different way, starting to approach doing it through emotional intelligence, even though you're high impact, you know, what kind of pivot points are you going into now and why?
1: First of all, thank you so much, Diane, for having me and for having the brand. This means um, a lot to us, and obviously, you know, I'm so happy I get to share more about the work that we do in Madagascar. Um, yeah, we were discussing how one of the, let's say, most interesting but also different uh, subjects that people don't really usually ask too much um, when we, when I've been, I've done podcasts in the past or I've spoken to different journalists is, is how How do you feel being a CEO? How did, How does it feel being an entrepreneur and you know, despite, you know, being uh on your own uh timeline so get to kind of organize yourself freely and your independence. There's a lot of stress, there's a lot of risk taking, there's a lot of strategy, you have to be like a visionary. There's so much that goes into it that obviously no one kind of prepares you for it. Mm. I think a part of it is also a bit innate or where you come from or how you've been raised. Um, but yeah, being an entrepreneur is, is not easy. You have to do a lot of uh, self discipline, um, work a lot on your mindset, uh, try to be as optimistic but realistic as, as possible. and when you're a young entrepreneur, so being 28, I founded Meek Roman in 2019. You typically obviously work right away with experienced more professional individuals and I for instance worked in the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, knowing how the fashion industry is, it's a bit of a superficial industry. Yeah. Um, you know, with a lot Lots of, of glamour, money. Yeah. Exactly, glamour. You know, not so much depth. It wasn't, and it hasn't been super easy because you gotta you gotta stand up for yourself, but at the same time, not be aggressive about it, and kind of find a good balanced way of speaking your mind, but still respecting the person in front of you, but showing that you know you know what you're talking about. So all of this is a lot of a lot of self work and a lot of self awareness. Yeah. Um, which. I find very beautiful, but obviously it's not That's always hard. easy because you're human. We're all yeah. humans, right? So even if you know you're managing, you know, a thousand people. In my case, I work with over 350 artisans, but then I have over 15 people in management, and then I have a team in Italy, and then you know you work with consultants, you work with uh, suppliers, you work with PR agencies, uh, showrooms. So it's all people who are passionate about what you do and the company that you've been created. But, you know, going along with what your strategy and your vision is and, yeah. you know, being a woman, being 28, mm. uh, it's, uh, you know, in a man world, it's, it's not always easy. Yeah. So that's a lot um, of self-discipline. <laughs> yeah. And,
0: and I wasn't going to ask you your age, but you brought it up. And so that really brings into the spotlight that your company that you've been building, the trajectory has been a bit of a rocket ship. Go back to the genesis of Made for a Woman. When it started, why? And this, this growth pattern, not only self-growth, but growth for the company. You know, how did you get to where you are now to think, you know what, even though I am an empath, I haven't really learned as a CEO to use, you know, a, an emotional intelligence exactly. framework for decisions. So let's kind of go back to the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about starting Made for a Woman and how did that happen? Of
1: course. So, so I grew up in Madagascar, but my back, I'm multicultural. My mother is from Milan, so Italy. My father is Gujarati from the north of India, but he's fourth generation in Madagascar. So I grew up in a very, you know, diverse household where my father is like, uh, businessman 100% and my mother is very into you know the social world so growing up in a household where you know I, I had these extremes um, and living in one of the poorest countries in the world today Madagascar is the poorest poorest country in the world Um, I've always sort of had you know this innate feeling due to my empathy as well I'm a very sensitive human being I've always wanted to give back to my beautiful country, to my beautiful population, because it is an amazing country. It has so much beauty. People of Madagascar are absolutely amazing. Mm. Um, So I love Madagascar. um, And I think there's a huge potential uh, in the country that unfortunately, due to corruption and political instability, isn't where it should be today. Mm -hmm. So I guess. Uh, after my studies and working outside of Madagascar, uh, between India, Milan, Boja, Paris, I decided to come back to Madagascar after my master's degree and start Made for Women. So Made for Women kind of, you know, at the end of the day, is I wanted to create a brand that was different from what you would see typically. I mean, there are millions of startups every day. So why would I create another brand, you know, just that would just look like any other so what is the added value that i would give for a woman and obviously our objective i mean, for a woman is to improve the overall quality of life of the people of madagascar so started with you know four five artisans um three years ago where three it was years more ago. of an ngo rather yeah three years ago rather than an, a social entrepreneurship was an ngo where you know i was self-funding it um we were kind of like We were in a village, um, where we would do donations to the children of the village. We'd make the uniforms of the children. We'd make like blankets for the old people and we'd gather around donations. And it was so beautiful and people were super grateful for what we were doing. And there was so much creativity into it. So I'm like, okay, well, let's develop this. Let's make this something bigger. Let's, let's be ambitious, you know? Yeah. And so in three years, Today, Means uh, for Women has over 350 artisans um, that we work with on a daily basis. Uh, we specifically work with and are in partnership with the Minister of the Population of Madagascar and local associations. Uh, so typically uh, these associations, just to give you a better idea of that we unfortunately have to help because unfortunately there are no governmental, uh, there's no governmental aid, um, public services are almost you know mm, unavailable so, so we typically work with GBV survivors mm. um so we welcome these individuals into our atelier where we give them formation courses in weaving because we with rachia, which is a natural fiber that derives from a palm tree okay um and and you know we give them formation courses and we welcome them to our atelier um and you know they start working with us so not only do we give them financial stability uh, with the, with wages that go above living wage, uh, thanks to our WFTO certification today, but we have, on a daily basis, um, big employees um, that are psychologists, medical doctors, social assistant workers, uh, professional dancers, art therapists. Um, we have a child care area for all the children of our women. Uh, we have a canteen. Um, we have educators. So we've created a space where not only do these individuals come to work every day, but we give them emotional and psychological support because that's the only way you can actually improve a life. Yeah. Right? It's not only financial. You've created um, so, an a you know, ecosystem. Exactly. Yeah. It's amazing. You no, know, it's very beautiful. And you know, when you come from a very poor country, um, We realized with my colleagues that you don't actually need that much to actually make a difference. Right. It's so minimum what you can provide and still make a difference in their lives. Unfortunately, many of the people that come to work with us don't believe that they deserve to have a dignity because of their social status. And this is how, you know, society works towards poverty, you know, poverty meaning you're You're nobody. Um, you survive so because you need to eat and you need to feed your children. Um, but, I mean, you have no other scope, right? right. You have, you're have, you not allowed to have vision. You don't have a dream. And it's, it's horrendous. It's horrible. Um, so, and and we've been able to see an evolution in the way they see themselves, the way they slowly are starting to appreciate themselves and they're starting to have values and are starting to think and have an opinion. And we're able to negotiate together on different things. Um and you see some of these artists that have a potential that is amazing and it's very beautiful. Yeah. I, I guess that is the most beautiful part of this job. And just um, and and the reason why it exists.
0: And just to you know level set for the listeners, if you were to go to the website for Made for a Woman, which is madeforawoman.shop, and, and to read about them, I'm on it right now, and I'm reading in the atelier that, you know, Madagascar, for context, 81% of the people live with less than $2 a day. So by providing jobs and giving this environment of support, both nourishment from your what your physical body needs, but also mental nourishment to understand how to support yourself how to be in a decision framework and a, in a micro economy that with no discrimination and and childcare support it's really crazy that you grew so fast to provide this environment you had to have had some inspiration or influences you know how did you get from you said it was under five artisans a few years ago to 350 now and to, and to put that infrastructure in place who were the people that helped you and the inspirations around you and and how has that shaped made for a woman
1: um, So my biggest, you know, supporters, obviously, is my family. Um, They supported me from day one. Obviously, I created a social entrepreneurship, which really puts the business and social aspect together, which is where I grew up in. So I, they were super happy and very, uh they believed in this project. So I am very, very lucky that I had a family that supported my vision, which is a vision that I've had since the age of eight. So I've um, always known that this is what I wanted to do with my life. So you've been doing um, this for 20 years. No this is this no, is but what I this, to,
0: this yeah this vision yeah. I mean it's been it's been going on you say you're 28 and that you're young but this is something that's yeah. been germinating for two decades for you
1: Yeah, exactly. And 20 years ago, when I would speak about this concept with my father, he's like, what are you talking about? And now, you know, it's social entrepreneurship. So obviously, you know, Tom started it. um, And then today, there are so many social entrepreneurships that exist. And it's really, you know, the future of how businesses should be. So I think, obviously, having a family that has been super supportive. But most than that is that my objective is pretty authentic. I actually do want to make a difference in the lives of the people that I work with on a daily basis. And when I say me, I'm talking about me and my team because obviously I do have a team that I work with and who are all equally as passionate about this as myself. You know, when you work directly with people that you can, you want to help or make a difference with and you see the impact, at such a direct level it's so stimulating and it's so it, it, it's it's the best feeling you can feel and therefore you know today I will people who who see the beauty and you know the changes that we've been able to to put in place and and, and the way I speak about it with you is the way they speak about it with their friends and family mm-hmm. and I mean that's the way it goes on and you know this is the way I've been speaking about it for so long and people love the story, they, they see how you know authentic this project is when they come visit us or when they speak to the artisans or, you know, when they speak to us. And I, I guess having this support system because they feel the passion, they feel the love. You know, it's all about love and empathy and authentic and you know, genuinity. Um, I guess it's much easier, you know, to to go forward. Yeah. And but it's being
0: recognized, like you said, they're very talented artisans in the mix. And the as someone who works in finance who gives advice, something that I love seeing is that you're not just lending out money it's not it's while i love i love micro loans and, and how that's improved some very impoverished areas in all yeah. countries you're you're putting a framework in place to be able to earn a living Definitely. but to grow as an artist and to really help your family healthcare childcare um zero discrimination i mean again you've really created a microcosm but you're creating beautiful things so again for the listeners I have the benefit of knowing some of the brands have picked up. You know, in the intro, I said You're, you'll be going to Paris this weekend. Let's talk about how it is changing the fashion industry. You know, who have you all worked with, and and where have people perhaps seen these beautiful objects that are coming out of Made for a Woman?
1: Of course. So as we were speaking, uh, Madagascar has a, a craftsmanship that is is, is amazing. Um, I didn't know this before working with Made for a Woman, but all the biggest luxury houses produced in Madagascar are not only Rafia, but also other products. They, they they work leather in Madagascar. They other companies do their like lace and their embroideries and other detail work is made in Madagascar. Probably due to the fact, you know, of cost, but also because they are they're genuinely amazing at it. You know, they're gifted, and it's really sad to see it at the same time because. You have these prestigious houses producing in Madagascar, but you never hear of Madagascar in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, you, when you talk about Madagascar, you, you think of a poor African country. When in reality, uh, you have all these huge groups of, in the luxury industry that produce there. And it's unfortunate because, you know, the, the value that should be given to the artisan isn't there. And, you know, that's, that's part of the change that made for a woman want to be part of. And yes, as we were speaking, uh, we actually just launched our capsule collection this summer with the brand Chloe and Gabrielle Hurst. Um And it was our first collaboration with a luxury house um, that went super well, that is distributed at a global level. Um, and we're actually working on other collections for next season. And I think Gabrielle Hearst really had and brought a new vision to the fashion industry, which I have so much respect for, you know, and I guess that's also why they decided to work with me for a woman because we fit that image. Mm-hmm. Um, and this weekend, I'm meeting with other prestigious houses at that level. Fortunately, I, I can't talk too much about it oh, because sure. it's still confidential. But yes, you know, all these houses are slowly getting interested in working with ateliers and factories like ourselves we do we publicize in market the fact that you know we do put humans first and even by putting humans first you can be a profitable company you know you can do both things together and still do great things they really appreciate added value uh, the craftsmanship that we do so we try to innovate our products as well as you were saying our products are not the typical Rafia bag that you would find in the summer shop. Um, no, we're trying to change also this perspective of what Rafia is. It should be timeless, unconventional. Yeah. So we're, we're really shifting this concept of natural fibers should only be used during summer. No, we can also create beautiful products throughout for for the whole year. So we started out with accessories where we were producing hats, bags, pochettes but we also uh, started getting into ready-to-wear. We were part of the Milan Fashion Week in 2023, where we presented our first ready-to-wear collection, All Made in Rafia, where we also produced a tribute piece for Giorgio Armani. And from there on, many different multi-brand stores contacted us because they loved what we did, because it didn't give them uh, the impression that it was Rafia. We were really able to transform this fiber into different types of of techniques. So then we presented our first ready-to-wear collection at Modest, which is a luxury multi-brand store throughout in Paris and throughout Italy, Portofino, Sardinia, Milan. Um, where today you can find our collection online on their website, Modest, or even in-store. And it's getting great results and feedback. We've able to work with upcycled raffia, with upcycled cotton, putting different materials together, and really creating one-of-a-kind pieces. So it's been a great, great experience <laughs> so far. <laughs>
0: And I, and bringing it back full circle, I wanted to touch on, it's clear that all of the decisions you've been making for the better part of your life have been to help others. And it's everything you've been doing is selfless and in a way that can help others grow. You described yourself to me a few days ago as being an empath. I think that is so clear. You are an empath. (laughs) but you you are trying to strengthen your own decision-making framework. I, I think myself and everyone who's listening to this clearly understands that there are a lot of people who are relying on the decisions that you make. So can you dig a little bit into the framework as a CEO, as a leader, as a founder, how you're needing to pivot within the emotional intelligence framework that you're using or that you want to use? Of
1: course. There never was, a name given to sensitive people, you know, empath has come out in the recent years. So growing up in the 90s, in the early 2000s, going to school, uh, being an empath was really hard and not really appreciated because be seen as weak or too sensitive. Um, also, in school in general, you know, you were uh, recognized and acknowledged for your more, you know, IQ, you know your more logical side of things and I was a lot stronger in my creative and more the whole empathic lifestyle yeah. um, so I I guess it, it wasn't very easy growing up this way and many times I wouldn't understand why I was so sensitive all the time and how I feel how people felt and it just would affect me and it would, I would lose so much energy and and it just, it was really hard to manage all of this, especially not understanding why I felt a certain way and how come others maybe didn't understand how I saw the world or felt. And obviously, you know, then they, we I talked to so many more empaths and, yeah. and they, we, we understand each other. But yes, being a CEO and an empath, um, first of all, I think the only reason why I'm a, I'm Meet for Women founder today is because I'm an empath. And if I wasn't, I don't think I would have ever created this brand. Um, And then second of all, being an empath, really, you're very emotional and you care a lot about, you know, what people think and how they're feeling. And you always try to make them feel comfortable, you know, really prioritizing the human aspect of things, right? And there's not always just the human aspect of things. There's business aspect, there's the strategic aspect. Um, so as I was telling you the other day, I've bought a bunch of emotionally intelligent books. Because I I never was taught how to manage all of this and and use it as a strength, right? Because unfortunately, being an empath, you're very sensitive. And sensitive people are sort of all over the place, depending on the mood, on the people you're around, the the rooms you're in, what kind of people you're around. So at school, I never was able to manage all these feelings and anything that I felt and Today, finally, I'm starting to realize that you know there are ways to use this as your strength. There yeah. are criteria and there's KPIs and actually like follow like different steps on how use this as as your strength as CEO. Um, and it's it, it's been great. It's been great reading about it because I can finally become a I hope a better leader and be more understanding. Uh, according to the needs of my employees. But but no, it's been a very, very tough journey regarding like being a CEO and an empath and 28. <laughs> it hasn't been super easy. But I mean, slowly, I really hope that um, I'll be, you know, through experience and being able to manage all these emotions much better, I, I'll i be able to also, imagine, uh, you know, deal with this company and the employees that work in it at another level. Yeah.
0: I love that you're really giving yourself the time to genuinely focus and both inwardly and outwardly and how to shift your mindset to use something to be a strength. And clearly you already are a better CEO just for having made that decision. That's really empowering for everybody. And especially those of us who are eager to see CEOs out in the world making these types of choices because I personally believe that you can do very well by doing good and mm-hmm. I know you work also with the UN and a lot of other impact players around the world which we didn't even touch on we might have to do that in a second episode but if <laughs> if you were to give the listeners you know one piece of advice for where you have gotten today in this journey for somebody who's a founder, somebody who's thinking of starting a company, or maybe they're in early stages, what would that piece of advice be for them?
1: So I think even if your vision is very clear of what you want to do, you can maybe not always get easily influenced, but you have a lot of people around you who give, who give you your opinion and who give you their opinion and kind of especially if you're young and and you're working with older people and who have a lot more experience, they want to influence you towards their opinion and what what they think is right and how things should be. Um, But I think one thing that really, really has helped me go this far is the fact that I remind myself and I ask myself the following questions every day. I ask myself, why is it that I really want to do this? What is it behind? Is it because, is it for my ego? Is it because I need to prove something to someone mm. um, or is it because it's authentic? This is what I feel is right. So honestly, a lot of my intuition plays in hand. I've really worked a lot on myself throughout uh, throughout these years on how to really listen to my needs and to really understand where it all started. Because when you start something, you start with a good cause, right? You want to start something like this You say, okay, I want to help people. But, you know, in fashion with all the, you know, glamour and all the, you know, superficial part of it, you can somewhat of get lost in the beauty and the aesthetics of it, uh, in really cool projects that maybe are too soon for you or not exactly what you're meant to be doing. And so, yeah, I, I honestly, I remind myself all the time, like, what is the actual reason? Like, why am I doing this? Why am I actually doing this? And what are the, the decisions that I should be making accordingly? To what I actually need to do with this project. So bringing it back to your self awareness and being super conscious of, on how, on how you see things, on, on what people say to you. And at the end of the day, your, your ultimate mission, right? I think that has helped me tremendously make the right decisions until today, I believe. Yeah.
0: And I also think it is. While a lot of the stuff we've talked about some people with Dean is like being squishy and not hard metrics, I want to point out that all of these decisions yeah. and frameworks that you've used, you talked about your growth. But just to statistically tell the audience, maybe you haven't, I don't even know if you've thought about in this context, but you grew by an artisan number. Your artisan growth was over 11,000% in three years. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. That's why I said rocket ship (laughs) earlier. When I say rocket ship, like that's a rocket ship. So thank you for all that you're doing. And I'm excited to watch all the good work that made for women under Your stewardship continues to do for the world. And I'm definitely going to go on to the shop because some of those bags are beautiful. (laughs) Thank you for the beauty that you're bringing to the world, too. And I hope we can pick up this conversation again in the not too distant future.
1: Definitely. Thank you so much for the opportunity again. And I really, really, really appreciate it. I'm super grateful about this.
0: Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks for being a part of Winged and Ready. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, visit our website at ubs.com forward/ slash working with us. UBS Financial Services Inc is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member Finra, SIPC